Aaron Whitlow, Quentin Hollis, and we are the Markout Movie Podcast, and this is, uh, we're doing uh, Analyze This. Uh, we're going to be focusing mainly on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but we wanted to dive into some uh, analysis of Crawl real quick since Quentin recently saw that movie. And uh, let me ask him, first of all, what would you think about Crawl? I thought it was a, a really good movie that kind of took you from the beginning and a slow sort of build up and into this uh, hurricane of events with uh, alligators and, and uh, you know, situations that would be compromising to a person to where you had it had you thinking about what would you do, you know, what's next. And it never allowed you to get out of that hurricane. Uh, and it was fitting because there was a hurricane during the movie. But uh, that's that's how I would see it. It's, it's it was a good movie. I would definitely um, say it's one of my top um, true to nature monster type yeah. horror. Yeah, we was trying to find out what do we call those because I I, I, call, I call them uh, uh, animal attack movies. I don't want to yeah. say uh, and I say creature features, but that could also imply that it's like um, a mutant or right. alien. Or some so sort of it's not that, but it's like right. a real like true to nature. True to nature monster movies, or true to nature animal attack films. Yeah, yeah. Where, um, you know, like in the vein of uh, Jaws, or there you go. You know, and, Real, and, realistic animal horror. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Brandon and I came to the conclusion, uh, I especially that um, we consider this the best um, animal, true life nature animal movie, animal attack movie since Jaws, in in my opinion, because it just, for me, it gripped me and kept me the whole time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got invested in the characters. Um, and uh, the not only the alligators was the factor, but you got this hurricane that is keeping them, you know, eventually you know the water level is going to rise. Yeah. And, uh, and that just kept me really like, man, this is, you know, you run out of time, you got to do something, you know. And it was one of those movies where you didn't feel like, you know, the characters were doing things that were stupid. You know, sometimes you get to where you see a movie like this and you say, oh, now, why is that guy going over there? Or why is he, you know, nobody would do that. But the attack scenes, the the victims, um, they were all just kind of acting like you would expect people to act, you know, from, I don't, uh, I guess we were kind of spoiling it a little bit, but yeah, from, the, from the people who were, you know, robbing the store, mm-hmm. they didn't do anything out of the ordinary, you know, he kind of checked out the house and then he kind of came, you know, so it wasn't like he was meandering through some jungle or woods and, but he didn't need to, no, he was just kind of checking out something. And then the father and the, and, and, you know, his injury situation, he's not trying to be too heroic. He's allowing his daughter to do what she needs to do. And she's not doing anything that's, you know, ridiculous. So, so everything was like, yeah, I could see that being the next step. Mm. And that, and I think even that makes it even more scary because it was like this, they didn't have to, you know, trick us or not trick us. They didn't have to set up these unrealistic, um, Situations, the scenarios, where, yeah, scenarios. So, I, 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 in order to get us and, and to you know and to have us jump and things like that. So, it was really, really well done. Very realistic, in my opinion. Yeah, I um, what I liked is um, like thinking about the um, the the people that was 
burglarizing the store, like uh, you know, robbing the store. Not so much robbing, it, uh, but stealing mm-hmm. um, from the store. It makes sense that they would, like, because in a in in any type of scenario where you have inclement weather that has shut down cities, or you have rioting, or you have anything like that, you're gonna have not only vandalism, but you're gonna have people stealing and looting. You know, and so it makes sense that in this storm situation, there will be a group of people that stuck around to loot, to yeah. to steal, and just having to steal from a store across the street from a peep from a family that is stuck in the um, crawl space mm-hmm. uh, of their house. Um, you know, and uh, and the girl trying to get the their attention with the light. Um, and you're right, the guy it caught his eye. Enough where he he's like, I think there's someone over there, you right? Know? Um, and uh, and not to say that he was gonna approach them and help them, but it just drew in, it drew his attention. Yeah. And then yeah. at that point, his girlfriend got eaten mm-hmm. by the alligator. And which which was it was it was a um, a good moment in the movie, and and it had you thinking, well, wouldn't he wouldn't he hear that? But it was like, no, you wouldn't. Not in a hurricane, you know. Not with winds, you know, gusting and and uh, I'm sure other things flying around and hitting things. So it would be very, very loud. Wind would be blowing into your ears, so you couldn't hear. So that made it. I mean, it was like, you know, this this uh, <laughs> this juxtaposition of here's some violent attack going on, but he's kind of intimately trying to figure out what this <laughs> yeah. what this thing was. So and then he turns around, but um. But yeah, so the, you know that. Now the other thing I did like about it, and I know we're not going to stay on it too long, but I did love the, um, the father, the father daughter relationship. Yeah, uh, I love the fact that you know he he did entrust her, she you know to lead or to to do the the work she needed to do. It wasn't that you know typical. No, honey, I'll do this. You yeah. know, and then he fails, and then she helps. No, he was like, okay, yeah, you do that. So I like that communication that mm-hmm. they had, that relationship they had. And they could actually tie in, and this is hard to do in a horror film, they actually tied in enough of the character's backstory development, to absolutely. make you feel attached to them. Right. And I think that's where a lot of horror movies go astray and they fail is, yeah, we see the monster and that can make us jump, but we, we're not attached to these people. Right. But they were like, this is a... You know, if you remove the alligator, you would say, "Oh, this is a pretty good story of uh, father and daughter dealing stuck, with divorce. stuck in a hurricane." Yeah, stuck. Yeah, and stuck, and, and, yeah, stuck in, in it. Um, and the thing about the father and daughter relationship as well is they, with the backstory of building, like you start your first introduction to Haley, uh, the uh, fa- the daughter was mm-hmm. uh, she was uh, swimming. She was she was doing she was trying to um, was qualify. T- yeah, it was. A- yeah. It, for the Florida Gators, you know. Right. Uh she's trying to qualify and she um failed. She missed the the beat uh just a little bit. She wasn't fast enough and she said that she wasn't fast enough. Mm-hmm. And um and so um cuz you know, she said that something that's hanging up that's that's not allowing her to be as confident as she is a pusher and that thing that she hasn't had to push her has been her father cuz her father and her mother fell out of love mm-hmm. essentially and and divorced and now the mom is in Paris 
or right. Italy somewhere with attached. Yeah, yeah, with another dude, and yeah. uh, and and he is still hanging on the past. Hence, is why he's at the house. Mm-hmm. Well, he's he's away from where he's supposed to be at his house. He's in another place, mm-hmm. uh, and so, but uh, he always from the time that she was small, he always would coach her and motivate her. And I love that in this movie, even through his injury, he was still coaching her yeah. and motivating her and being that voice that she's missing. She's been missing all along yeah. to motivate her to do it. You know, you can do it the, depending, no matter what's coming against you. And in this case, it's alligators, but you can do it. And she was fast enough, maybe not to beat the lady, but she was fast enough to beat that alligator. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, Tremendous. You no, know? Yeah, yeah. No, and, I, and I, I, to your point, you know, that's that's also bringing that, you know, they they had this uh, growth in the, in their character, of um, they were kind of, kind of not detached completely, but she was, you know, saying, you know, hey, dad, you know, that stuff doesn't work. That old tra- training that you gave me, that you know, I'm in college now. I'm doing this. No, it's typical. You would ask, how am I doing? my or what my times are so they had this conflict in the beginning but then they got back to that period where they were when they were she was a little girl here's my coach and here's my dad and now I'm listening to him now I'm doing this stuff that you want me to do dad and now old daughter this is you know this is the daughter I know and blah blah so they almost took that character from you know they kind of went they completed the circle right of going back to you know that that really good um, relationship between a, a parent and a child uh, that sometimes we do lose as they leave, mm-hmm. but she brought it back, and and so I think that to me more than the horror of the you know the the gators and all that, to me it was more of a a good story of survival, yeah, and a good story of family. And that's hard. Like I said, that's hard to do in a uh, hard to pull off in a, in a horror film. So I, I see that not too many people. I mean, a lot of people liked it, but you had like seventy or seventy nine or eighty percent of the people, seventy nine yeah. percent say that they enjoyed it. But I think to some degree, some people were probably looking for something more. Yeah. Um, you know, and with but the, it delivered exactly what it said it was. It was right. It, it is a movie where a family <laughs> is stuck in a home during a hurricane. And alligators yeah. has invaded the home. Yeah, you know, and, and you have to. Both the alligators are crawling, but you have to be at a crawl to survive. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be very, uh, you know, cunning. You got to be cunning. You got to get in there. Got to almost come, come to the level and, and and think as a as the gator would think. Yeah, you know? uh, and yeah. Uh, like like the one scene where. Uh, She's like, I have to get my phone. I'm thinking, no, you don't. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's right, what right. my thoughts is. No, you don't have to yeah. get your phone. Now, you the know? only time, and I will, since you said that, the only, that, that was prob- probably the only time where I thought, okay, that's a dumb thing to do. Like, okay to get it if you want to get it, but then get back to where you're in safety, where she got it, and then all of a sudden she forgot all about the alligators and started trying to call 911, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, get it. My your natural thing would be like, oh, I got it, and now let me go ahead and get back to the yeah. pipe things yeah. where I can't be touching with my dad. And now let's call. Now let's call. Right. Uh, absolutely, so that was nobody. The only time, and, I and I think that that's that's a that's a movie element. There is that no one consciously 
I think would know that there is an alligator there. Mm. I think maybe has she been attacked at that point or just seen the alligator? She's only seen them at that point. All right, so yeah. but she knows she's aware uh-huh. that it is there. Uh, but yeah, she's aware that it's there. Um, no one would be like, oh, let me now make a call right now. Right. Like I would. You know, unless it says, oh, well, I don't have bars over here. I only have bars over here. Right. Then that would be motivation that, you know, I don't have a choice but to make it over here. You know, but they didn't establish that. It's just a, I got it. Let me go ahead and do this. No, let me get back to a safety place and then do it. And and see, and people may say, well, you got to have those moments where they're, no, because what would have been cool is if that phone was located in another safe zone only because they thought there were one alligator that came from the the pipe mm-hmm. system. Then if she got there and she's like, okay, I can make, th-, and now she sees there's a second alligator. Yeah. That would have been this, yeah. crazy drama. Yeah. Like, oh, and it, it, it would have been a way to introduce multiple gators too. Yeah. Because I went into the movie and I'm sure some people will probably go into the movie thinking that, that there was this one big alligator that was going to be, like the like, villain, like you know, pretty much the jaws, the jaws, the boosh, yeah. yeah. But so, and, and it was cool to see. Oh no, th- these are multiple gators here, but that would have been a way in which you could still say, okay, ah, but should she go back? No, she's kind of in a safe zone, so she can. Oh, but here's alligator number yeah, two. Absolutely, you know, yeah. So thing. if she made it, uh, if she made it, say um, she got it, and she sees that one gator coming, and she don't have time to retreat back there. And she has to go this way, and she makes it to like another, another safe, safe zone. zone. And then the she's pipes. in there, and we're like, "Ooh, she made it!" And, and then the all of a sudden, is... the gate, another gate is this in that safe zone. <laughs> you think this, you know, that's safe, but it's already there, and it like grabs her. Imagine you're like, "Oh tension. my gosh!" Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like two the of them, yeah. you know. And then you know, yeah, uh, that would be oh, great. Um, all right, but anyway, but yeah, and then uh, I was gonna say uh, one more thing is um, the gators didn't. I don't think the gators did anything outside of what a gator would do. Mm-hmm. So I think that they, I give them credit for uh, not making them superhuman gators right. or, you know, or anything like that. As my biggest uh, pet peeve about like, say uh, the shallows, I, I, I watched it recently and I really enjoyed it, but I, towards the end, I think that I, always, Brandon disagreed with me, but I think that the uh, gators, the, the shark reacted, started reacting the way, that a shark wouldn't react. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, like try okay. to do things that I'm thinking that they consciously wouldn't right. do, you know? Uh, but, but then again, I don't know sharks like that. So okay. maybe they okay. might, but I would say that the gators in this movie reacted in a way that a gator would react. Complete, and, completely natural. And yeah. only, they only were in the house at the levels in which the water has provided them access mm-hmm. to be in the house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, I, I, you know, I liked it. I did too. Yeah. I would say, like again, that, that's one of those good popcorn movies. You go ahead and spend the money on the popcorn and the drinks, and watch it and just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you might want to see it again just to get through, you know, or just to have that experience of of that 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 drama. But anyway, I agree. Definitely a popcorn movie. Well, all right. Well, uh, we just talked briefly about Crawl. Now we're about to. Pause for a word from uh, uh, get into some sponsorship stuff. After that, we're going to get into uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. So, yeah. 
I didn't realize that. Okay. Yep. All right, we're back, and now we're about to analyze to uh, analyze this uh, portion on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like I said, it is Quentin Tarantino's ninth uh, ninth film. Um, prior to this, I think is it was, it was Glorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. I think prior to that was Django. So. No, uh, Hateful Eight was somewhere in there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I forgot about Hateful yeah, Eight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we're going to talk about this. Um, Quentin has it pulled up as well. Uh, let me give you a quick synopsis of it, and then we're going to have Quentin jump into the um, uh, ratings of it. All right. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood visits 1969 Los, Los Angeles where everything is changing as TV star Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio, and his longtime stunt double Cliff Booth, Brad Pitt, make their way around an industry they hardly recognize anymore. The ninth film from the writer-director features a large ensemble cast and multiple storylines in a tribute to the final moments of Hollywood golden age. It also mentions, it didn't mention this, but this is centered around the same time of the Tate um, LaBianca murders, or a.k.a. the Manson murders, uh, yeah. uh, called on by Charles Manson at uh, C- Cielo Drive, I believe it, that uh, a residence yep. was, something yeah. like that. But yeah, Quentin, let me know what the um, ratings are. Okay, so across the board, they're they're about eighty percent. So IMDb had eight point six out of ten, and Rotten Tomatoes eighty four percent, and Metacritic also eighty five percent. Almost like uh, those Madden football games, everybody gives them an eight out of ten, mm-hmm. which they don't deserve. But anyway, that's another <laughs> that's your buddy's area of video games. But yeah, overall eighty percent, eighty mid eighties, mid eighties, and I would agree that it's it's. You know, about at that mid-80 range. A lot of times I don't agree with these uh, reviews, but I would say, yeah, it's at the mid-80s range. Mm-hmm. Very, um, uh, It's one of those movies that you, you definitely want to see, and you might only see it once, but that's okay. But you definitely will, you know, want to see it and, and kind of uh, talk about it afterwards. Right. Very good play on history and also fantasy. And so I guess that's... And therein lies the title, Once Upon a Time. It gives you that setup of this is kind of like a fairy tale, but at the same time, part of it is historical. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to be, this is going to be a spoiler-heavy review uh, of this of this uh, movie because uh, there's no way for us to tackle it without yeah, spoiling it. Yeah, it's really, uh, you can't, yeah. So, um, before we do that, uh, I'll say that, Pre-spoilers, I absolutely enjoyed the film. I enjoyed Leonardo DiCaprio's Rick Dalton and Brad Pitt's Cliff Booth. I thought that I never, you know, it's crazy to think that these two has never actually been in a movie together. And, yeah, uh, and yeah. they did such a great job great bouncing off one another. Mm-hmm. You couldn't tell. I was And I was sitting there thinking, like, have they never been in a movie together? Right, right. And I'm like, man, because they do so well, man. It's, um, you know, they do so well. Uh, you believe they were friends, yeah. Like offset, like I mean, they 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 had such a like a a friendly natural chemistry. Yeah, it, it's kind of 
Yeah, it's kind of eerie. You know? Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's funny to think about the idea of, because, you know, you you working in Hollywood and stuff like that, and say you do have a stunt double, it's not often that I don't think, I don't know, but it's not yeah. often I, I think that the actor and stunt double will like be that close that to the point of where they go out to eat and dinner right, and be at each other's right. house and just hang out or things like that. You You would think that, oh, it's just, Oh yeah, you're my stunt double on this movie or whatever, and we work together like in that. But after that, it's like, yeah, all right, I'll see you later. Right. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever seen on TV or in any interviews um, an actor with his stunt double as a buddy, and they're mm-hmm. just talking about it. They kind of, you know, I wonder if they kind of stay distant because here's a guy that is doing all of my work, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know, but. That's a cool play on something we've never seen. Yeah. Um, but back to your point, yeah, I thought one of the, I thought one of the gems of the movie was their their chemistry, how they played off of each other. Mm-hmm. It, it provided good comedy, and I'm gonna tell you, Leonardo DiCaprio. He, it seems like with every movie I see, as he gets older, he he gets better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's not like rusty, or he may not make a movie for like two years and then he'll come out with something. And, and, and it's like usually it stellar. Yeah. It's like it's like so, you know he don't make movies and then uh, he like he was he in Departed, the Departed. Uh, ooh man, I with, think De Niro and I think so. It, it has like so. little everybody in it. Yeah, yeah, I think he was. I think was Matt Damon in it. It's like Jeez, was he? See, I don't know. See, but what I'm saying is like like he like all right. Um, What's the movie where he's uh, in a mental ins- mental institution trying to oh. find out the murders of somebody? And then- yeah, well, he was in New York. One uh, of he was in New York at like one of the islands. Yeah, it was a famous and, prison. Yeah, I forget the name. Aaron, you, yeah, my memory is terrible. <laughs> I remember the movie. Uh, um, yeah, but anyway, yeah, in that movie, uh, in that he uh, he was really like, you know, like to to play a character that is so complex, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, in this movie, you hear him, like, as Rick Dalton. In the movie, he plays... Rick Dalton is... Uh, he's a uh, guy that's very confident in movies. You know, at one point, he was a hero in movies. Mm-hmm. Now he's been uh, relegated to, like, the villain. Yeah. Villain in movies. You know, the villain of the week, essentially, uh, type of guy. Um, but And he's in that role now, but... When you, but he still has that confidence. When you know at times, but when you actually see him outside of the camera, you see he stumbles over his words. He stutters a little bit. He's not confident. He lacks that confidence. Yeah, you know. And I think uh, so. I think also, which is cool about the movie, is they do play. They do give you, you know, this story of this actor, a story of many actors. I'm sure who go in or go in and out of fame, but mainly they they take this. You know, they take this uh, route of you were very popular at one time. You were the man mm-hmm. to where now you're being phased out. And to now, we don't even know if you're good enough to be on, you know, on screen. And so, of course, that would damage your confidence. So we do see a guy who was super confident in the beginning of this movie. But toward the end, yeah, he's 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 uh, he's in shambles. But then he gets his confidence back. Right. Uh mm-hmm. So you you see this actor you, you see the story of a of an actor's journey, of just surviving, 
and he did all kinds of crazy things, you know, music videos and all that, just to try to save his career, right? Just to be relevant. To be relevant. So yeah. that's a that's a plot and a story within itself, which you can you can bind to that. You can bind to their relationship between two friends, mm-hmm. but then you can also kind of you know bind to the idea of this was the seventies. This was yeah. a cool time, a cool time of innocence. Yeah, you know, uh, I love the fact that they show how celebrities without social media sometimes weren't even known. Right, like when she, the Tate character was trying to go see the movie and. Mm-hmm. The, the girl didn't even know who she was. She knew the movie and she knew the lady in the movie, but she, you know, she couldn't put the, yeah. the two together. So I thought, you know, that's a that's an innocence we used to have, that also, you know, paved the way for people like a Manson or a Ted Bundy to just kind of continue to, you know, influence people and kill people and keep moving because there was no social media tracking right. these things. But go ahead. And uh, another thing that. Um I wanted to point out too was all right. So, and I just thought about what you was, I was kind of listening to what you were saying. Uh, so this movie takes place in 1969, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and the Tate murders, I believe happened. Was it August? It was August. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And so this is, we're, we're in July. Yep. Currently. And then, uh, almost it, August. It'll be August. Day. Yeah. So, uh, August 15th, August 15th through like the 17th, 18th or something like that was Woodstock in New York. Okay. It was the first Woodstock event. It was in uh, 69 and it happened, um, you know, in August, the Tate murders happened. Um, the Tate murders happened. Uh, I was trying to find the actual date. Uh, of the Tate murders. Uh, I'm getting there, guys. I want to say that it was, if Woodstock happened in fit, uh, on the 15th, the Tate murders happened. Oh, you're trying to see if they they happened right at the same yeah, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, because they said that the Tate murders kind of uh, killed the time of innocence. And, mm. and uh, it kind of was the death of the 60s. The death of, not only the death of this real life, you know, Sharon Tate and her friends and things like that. But also symbolically and metaphorically, I guess it was a death of the sixties, the depth of the hippie movement, the depth, the death of, you know, but at the same time, it's just, uh, you have just position of Woodstock happening, which is trying to, um, it, uh, Woodstock was about peace. It's supposed to be about peace, but it also was a protest to, what was going on in Vietnam, things like that. So you have, you know, you have those type of, you have those two uh, yin-yang yeah, type of yeah. things going on where you have peace, but you have a time of, of violence and reality. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that uh, it's crazy to think that over on one coast in New York, you have a festival of peace. Okay, and then on the other coast in LA, you have this this thing of violence and murder that happens. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like I think it's kind of crazy, you know? Oh, you mean now? Make sure you you said New York. You meant LA? Yeah, LA. So the Tate murders happened August eighth and the ninth, nineteen sixty nine. So a few Woodstock days happened in 
in Fitch in August fifteenth through like a few days, you know. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So so after Tate's murder in L.A., Woodstock happened. So the, so Woodstock happened in the light of the Tate murders. <clears throat> so that's something that was still fresh and new to people that is in right. You know. Right. So these are all factors in the time and and what also helped shape the 70s and what shaped the 80s because 80s was pretty much if the 70s was filled with protest and and trying to figure out who you are the 80s is like there is is almost the equivalent of there was a big parade or gathering of people people fled and left and what was left is trash Mm -hmm. in the street Mm-hmm. They cluttered, and so that's what you see in the eighties is like a desolate type of time frame. I don't know. Yeah, no, it, that that <clears throat> that makes sense. Uh, no, I agree with that. That makes sense. Um, now, so when you're watching this movie, mm-hmm. it, it's cool if you can think about those things. As a matter of fact, I, <clears throat> I would almost, if I recommend the movie, I would tell people. You know, go see it for fun. But if you really want to enjoy it, maybe look at some of the things like back in the early 70s that were taking place and maybe read up a little bit on Manson, a little bit of mm-hmm. what happened. And then, you know, uh, just think about that that time period. All right, right. Boom. Now go see it. Um, and I thought that's what Quentin Tarantino did a good job of is almost taking as much as he could from culture, which is hard to do in this in that area. There was so many things going on. <coughs> You know, and some people may be upset that he only portrayed hippies, you know, in this negative way, uh, because he only focused on those hippies. Those hippies, right? But but a lot of people will give credit to a hippie movement that made it, everybody aware of things like Vietnam and you know the government's you know mischievous and undermined um, ways of dealing with other countries, you know, yeah, things absolutely. like that. So so I think there's a good image of. The hippie movement, and there's a bad one, but he just kind of focused on the bad one a little bit. But that's fine. But back to the movie, yeah, I thought, <clears throat> I thought, you know, looking at the time in Hollywood, uh, I thought he could have shown a little bit more. And again, I'm always kind of preaching this, but ethnicity that was kind of going on in a positive light because these were some also. This was during the time of the uh, the black exploited movies, the black exploitation. So, yeah. and you had people like. You know, um, the Melvin Van people. Are you talking about like the people that directed or the people that acted in it and directed it? And they would have all been kind of along with that hippie movement. Everybody was kind of together. Now, he did do that at the party that Polanski went to there. You saw blacks there. But I just thought back in that day, there was so much of the Jim Browns working with, you know, um, whoever, um, Raquel Welch. Yeah. and all this intermingling of different cultures and films, you know, uh, Into the Dragon and, you know, things like that. I know that's a little bit later, a couple of right. years later. But so I thought if they're going to add that Bruce Lee element, go ahead and add some of the other elements of, you know, the black ex- exploitation period and maybe see show how they all probably did kind of hang around and hang out a yeah. little bit. But that's fine. That's his, it's his story, his movie. And uh, what you said, it kind of uh, got some things kind of going, gears uh, turning. Uh, because uh, the first, what I consider the first black exploitation film um, was uh, Melvin Van Peebles' Sweet Sweetback. 
uh, it's called Sweet Sweet Back's Badass Song, which came out in 1971, which would have been like two years yep, after. Two years after this, um, and so it kind of, you know, and that was done by a black man about you know being a revolutionary. Uh, actually, uh, Bill Cosby helped fund this movie. Uh, also, Black Black Panthers helped secure the movie and uh, things like that, and it kind of took off from there and become uh, the like what I consider one of the first major black exploitation films. And then from there, you had the Mac, and you had Shaft, and you have uh, stuff with uh, 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 Jim Brown. You know, you had mm-hmm. those movies like that that uh, Ken. Um, I forget his name. Um, but you have a lot of those guys that kind of came from that element. But yeah. Um, but the 60s, man, was like, it's like trying to hang on to. And what I liked about this movie is it's almost like a time capsule mm-hmm. of what the 60s was like. And this is from a guy that was not alive in the 60s. I, was, I came in 1980. But, you know, um, it was it was like. For me, looking the way he shot it, though, it wasn't sepia, but it just had that kind of nostalgic feel to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas you see stuff shot in the 80s, it kind of gives you the 80s vibe with um, neon lights and uh, bright colors, things like that. Whereas here, it was kind of, it had a look like a golden uh, aura to it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I think that that kind of because it was still at the time when Hollywood was still it wasn't as gold as it used to be, but it was hanging on to some of that golden era. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so uh, the character of Rick Dalton is a guy that did well during those 40s, 45, 46, 50s, mm-hmm. when cowboy stuff was really yeah, big and popping. Mm-hmm. Bonanzas and raw hide and you know those shows like that but then comes uh that but then hollywood was not was getting over that stuff was kind of moving a different direction it starts imitating like spaghetti westerns italian westerns and um and that's what they try to do then and then later on like from black exploitation films you got other films that was very violent like um the charles bronson stuff you know Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But so, yeah, so you know, um, I just thought overall, you know, he he did a great job with kind of painting that time period, but he could have thrown in a little bit of that history, if you know, just a yeah. Now we like there wasn't a lot of black um, representation in this movie. I no, don't believe no, so. and and so all the you know the singers that a lot of celebrities kind of hung out with, you know, even though we might not have been as in many movies, so if you didn't want to put all the actors in that, but we had the Sidney Portiers and the Cicely Tysons that were making movies back then and they had a following, but you could have at least, you know, brought in some of those singers, the Sam Cooks and the, you know, but, but I did at least appreciate him having Bruce Lee in there, one of my idols. And, you know, we just read that um, his daughter, Shannon was offended by the portrayal. Uh, And uh, I agree with, some of that. I mean, I thought right. it was good that he even, he at least put him in there, but but it was kind of and it was a little nostalgia just hearing this actor playing Bruce Lee sound a lot like Bruce Lee when he's you know would talk, and that was cool to see. Uh, but yeah, at the end of it, 
it was kind of like, really? You know, that's what they're going to do to the probably the greatest influential martial artist of all time. Yeah. So that was kind of like a slap in the face, but it's it's a comical, you know, type of an, of an approach. And um, let me uh, look at something real quick. But uh, real, um, but yeah, be, we're gonna get into spoilers. Um, real quick, um, I want to say that I absolutely love this movie, and uh, if I had to give it a rating, uh, the markout system, I would say that I'm giving it five markouts because I think that I I think it was. For me, the best Tarantino film I've seen in a long time, and that's just my opinion. If I had to give it the uh, the movie theater rating, I would give it a, uh, uh, a instant classic popcorn and movie type of rating where you go and you see it in theaters without spoilers, without interruptions, and just enjoy the movie. Okay, good, good. Yeah, so if I were to give it a rating, you guys do the five yeah. mark. Um, so I would probably give it a a four, a solid four, and mainly because the ending is what was so creative. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to talk about the whole ending if you don't want to, but oh, we're it is, it it is it. a spoiler, but the way in which he took the took us on a ride uh, down this road to follow the outcome of the Manson-Tate you know, situation and then throw a complete loop curveball in it. That was brilliant. And so that left me with saying that was a surprise and that 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 really that really did it for me in the movie uh and for the movie. So uh I still like pulp fiction mm-hmm. more than something like this and and, and uh maybe a, maybe a couple of others are Reservoir right Dogs. Like yeah, Reservoir. So I would put it up there but I still say pulp fiction is just just a cool, uh, and and it might be because of Travolta and Samuel L. They just did making, well one of them. Yeah, just making that movie just it, off the top. Unbelievable. But anyway, I would say so four four marks and definitely a popcorn movie. And, and it is one that um, you might watch again just because even though you know the ending, you might still watch it because of the chemistry, the time period. And, and see and, some and of the things you missed. Some of the things you missed. And then... Leonardo's uh, performance. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think he was. I think it was great. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, speaking of that, all right. So we're going to get into spoilers. Uh, um, so turn away we if you don't want. We already. We, well, we didn't get into many spoilers, <laughs> but okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, we're getting uh, into real spoilers. But uh, okay, now, yeah. uh, but uh, speaking of what you said about uh, Pulp Fiction, um, so the chemistry between Travolta and Samuel Jackson was like one of the best uh, chemistries that I've ever seen mm. where you want to see more of them together, you know? Now, it was better than this, Lethal it, Weapons, um, Glover and, and Mel Gibson. And Mel it Gibson. was better than that. Their, their timing, yeah. the, the waiting in the hallway. To, their banter. To, to knock their, on the, yeah. Man, how you going to... I don't care what you say. Kissing a woman's foot, feet is not the same as oral sex. And there ain't no reason to throw a man out the window for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going yeah. back. How much time we got? Two minutes. Well, I see what you're saying. I mean, they just yeah. went, oh, it was it was perfect. But and, anyway, go ahead. Uh, and so with that chemistry together, uh, what I was my point was that I would consider the chemistry of Cliff and Rick to be on that kind of level. Not say that they are on that specific okay. level, like 
have reached that plateau, but I think that they are on that level of the chemistry with one another together. Okay. Uh, but it's not because uh, you can tell that you can tell that uh, Jules and um, uh, uh, well, I forget I forget uh, Vegas Vinny Vegas there you go Vinny yeah, Vegas yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can tell that they uh, they've been working with each other for years. Yeah, you can tell yeah. that they know each other like. You know, and their banter with one another is just so, it's man. It's so It's almost so, like yeah. you didn't. They, it's almost. I, I believe they didn't even write their their dialogue. It's mm. almost like they said, "Okay, I want you guys to just create something that two friends would talk about." Yeah, you know, burgers what I mean? and so stuff. I could talk. You and I could just now start bantering about who's sexier, Halle Berry or um, I don't know, uh, Angelina. Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie, yeah, and then we just. Yeah, I'm gonna say Holly, but yeah. <laughs> see, nah, man, you gotta, you gotta be. Well, Holly is cool. See, so like even that, yeah. just natural. That's how they were, and but it was even more. It was, it was like these are guys who they know they know each other so well that they can even pick on each other, but then back it off because they know the other person is getting the, you yeah, know, starting to get to them. So yeah. let me back down. I know my buddy. Let me back down. I touched the. I know that button. So they played on that stuff too. It was great. Yeah. But go ahead. It, but with the uh relationship between Cliff and Rick Dalton is um that they uh you can tell that they've been in a place where they've worked is he has been his stuntman for a while. Uh, uh so uh Cliff says since they were doing that um the um bounty bounty hunter bounty mm-hmm. show which was shot at Spawn Ranch, which um, is, you know, he, uh, Spawn Ranch is where Mansons lived uh, for a good portion of their time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that's their, that's how that's all connected there. But, uh, but they've been working together since that show. So if that show was, let's say 1940 something. So they've been together. They've been, He's been his stuntman since like the early almost four. thirty years. Yeah. yeah, so they've known each other for thirty years, um, and you can tell that they are friends uh, and they're close. But it's their friendship, though, the, and that's the thing. That's the difference between the Pulp Fiction, uh, Jules, and uh, Vegas, Benny Vegas's relationship, than their relationship in this, because. Their relationship in in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a is a employer employee relationship. They're friends, they're cool, mm-hmm. they they are down with one another. But at the end of the day, yeah. employee employer, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So whereas with Vinny and um, with Vinny Vegas and uh, Jules, their relationship is. But they're brothers. Right. They right. they man have each other's back, and they, and they can be freely. They can be who they are around each other, yeah. mm-hmm. and they in this, and but it's not a discredit in this relationship. That's what this relationship is. Whereas you have a relationship like in Django and Shane, you have Django and uh, I forget the name of the doctor dude, the dentist or whatever his name is. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, their yeah. relationship was like, uh, you helped me to get free. And I'm I'm helping you. You helping me. We're like partners, mm-hmm. but we're, we're we're business partners. Mm-hmm. We're n- they're not so much friends, but they're business partners. Right, right. And so that's their relationship. And and talking about this with you, Quentin Tarantino is brilliant in that to create relationships that aren't like cookie cutter relationships in his mm-hmm. movies. 
they are specific to what they are and with who these people are to one another. And that is good. That's good movie making. That's good. That is creativity. That's, that's so so that I definitely would say that's a reason to go see this film. Mm-hmm. And uh, last on the combo thing, it just made me think we're about to see another one that that some people say is just as good, and that's Will Smith and Martin Lawrence because they finished that Bad Boys. They finished it. Okay. Yeah. So we'll see, and I and I think they have good chemistry mm-hmm. too. Now I still say the Pulp Fiction chemistry is un- unbelievable, but we'll see. I thought I, Eddie, I thought Eddie and Martin Lawrence had great chemistry in life. Like, mm-hmm. okay, okay. You know. mm-hmm. but uh, All but right, so what but, else were we gonna do? On yeah, this yeah. Let me let me. Uh, we we was talking about Bruce uh, and oh, Bruce's yeah. uh, daughter Shannon being. Um, All right, so Bruce Lee is by all of most people's accounts. One one of the greatest, if not the greatest, martial artists to ever live, um, and uh, also um, at the time that this movie takes place, they said that he was doing Green Hornet. Green Hornet was a show in which he was essentially the sidekick to the main star, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but he was the sidekick nonetheless. He wasn't the star of the show. He was a sidekick, and that's uh, he got frustrated with America, I think, during this time, and that's what led him to go back to Hong Kong, and uh, and yep. start making a lot of the Hong Kong films, and he became a bigger star in Hong Kong, uh-huh. uh, and then maybe at that point he came back to to uh, L.A. or or he settled in Washington, yeah, uh, he Seattle, never, he, he settled never, in Seattle, yeah, but he never quite made it back. He died before coming oh, back, but he was okay. about to come back, yeah, and so, but he uh, like. The guy that they got to play him did a great job as mm-hmm. Bruce, uh, but um, they played him up as not really living up to the hype of who he is, and uh, like a phony, a sham, yeah, yeah, a yeah. yeah. In which you know, hey, Brad Pitt's Cliff Booth was a badass, no, no doubt in this character, but you you can't tell Bruce me on any guy, day, guy. yeah, he and Bruce wouldn't have done something as as dumb listen Bruce uh Jin Kundo and Quentin correct me if I'm wrong Jin Kundo is all about um like you thinking you you uh you gotta evolve and become like a water essentially mm-hmm. you gotta be you got it's fluent mm-hmm. so you gotta evolve to whoever your person that you're fighting style or whatever just so that you can win so and plus you uh you don't get to the point where you're like okay I'm going to do something foolish like trying to do a flying kick and be thrown because that would be that would be that wouldn't be that wouldn't be characteristic of what Jin Kudo is. Right. And yeah. Bruce Lee was also known to never well according to friends and people who knew him closely never to kick uh you know uh, high into the face. Um because that wasn't not only Jin Kudo's it wasn't Wing Chun's idea. So he would always take a traditional type of uh, Wing Chun stance. They said even when he was challenged on Enter the Dragon set, and and it was re- usually really quick, really efficient fighting. So, but they made him in this movie, you know, drop back, do some dancing around, you know, Start run, making noises. jump, kick, you know, and, and that's like he he knew that that was Hollywood stuff, and that's why he put it in movies. Um, but he oftentimes would say that. You know, it's foolish to put your head or your fist where your where a person's feet are, and put your f- you know feet where a person's head is. Mm-hmm. You know, and that sort of thing. It's just 
you should put, you know, uh, your hands are the closest instrument. But anyway, back to the, the fact that they just portrayed him like this, um, when in, in, the, in actuality, he was challenged quite a bit because everybody did think that he was just a paper tiger and just a, um, uh, a movie star. So he was challenged more than I'm sure anybody's ever been challenged on sets, right? And he's had numbers of fights. They said, you know, a lot of people who directed him and and, and starred with him, um, and he would literally just mop people up. And and so, for them to say, okay, we're going to show one of those episodes where he got challenged, you know, and then we're going to make it look like, oh, this guy that drinks and smokes cigarettes and is a cowboy can flip this little China man all around this this thing and and almost kill him yeah that kind of thing that's that that so I agree with Shannon that that if that was the only portrayal that you're gonna do then you shouldn't do that it would have been cool if he had done that and then showed that that was in this guy's imagination yeah and now here's the let's go ahead yeah, and shoot another screen yeah shot with Bruce and he really challenges him and we see him later with an ice pack on his face and he's all bruised up yeah. because it's like, no, it didn't go that way. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. You could do that. Even if you didn't want to show Bruce beating him up, let us see that. Okay. He was imagining that you can, he assumes we know that. See, he assumes we get that, that mm -hmm. that was that guy saying, that's why he was kicked off the set. So, because he, they, they cut back to him on the roof and he's smiling. So you can kind of assume that that wasn't the truth. Yeah. But it was kind of like in his, in, in his, his, like his, um, his, un, his uh, understanding of the events, or his ego, yeah, in which he's trying to just pump up his ego, like yeah. this is what I was, you know, or and, and this is fantasy, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So I wish they had just gotten back to maybe showing, no, nah, Bruce would have uh, mopped that guy, yeah, up, anybody up, yeah, and they didn't even come close to touching him. Yeah. And and nobody even knew what he was doing. Yeah. You know, and he had stories of impressing bodyguards by, you know, you know, shutting the door and kicking the door and blowing it off its its hinges, you know, and this little man could do that or telling one guy, I think there's a story where he was interviewing for to be a, a big time movie celebrity's stunt uh, bodyguard and he said I already have one. And Bruce put the cigarette mm -hmm. in this guy's mouth. Right. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and he does a like a roundhouse kick and knocks the cigarette out of his mouth. And the guy hired him right on the spot and also asked if he could teach him. Matter of fact, I think they had that, those teaching. I think classes. they had that scene. in, if it's not in a Bruce Lee movie, it might have been in the Bruce Lee story uh, with uh, uh, Jason, uh, Jason Lee or whatever his name, oh, okay. the Trey Bruce. OK, I think there's a scene where he kicks the cigarette. You know, out of his mouth. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember. Um, so, so I'm not saying that that's fighting, right? Right. Because that's just demonstrations. Because I know people will say, "Well, that's just a demonstration." But, but people who sparred with him, people who actually trained with him, they said it. Jim Kelly, all the, all the, all the uh, Chuck Norris, they all yeah. said on the street fight, he would be, you know, hands down. The, the, and, and, and now I do like the, go ahead. Uh, well, real quick, I was gonna say this with the street fight thing, uh, and I and I give it back to you. 
the thing is, Bruce uh, Bruce's background was street fight in China. He was he was they would fight literally fight one another. And those were some violent fights too. Yeah, rooftop uh, fights. Yeah, rooftop yeah. fights, yeah. and they would fight. And so it was so it's not believable that this guy, no matter how trained Brad Pitt's Cliff Booth is, yeah. Would no. ever come close to uh, beating uh, Bruce? Yeah. You know, and you're talking about a guy that trained insanely. You know, four or five, you know, seven hours a day. Yeah. You know, and, and loved. I mean, so it's almost like saying, I can pick up a guitar every once in a while and play it, but I'm going to now challenge Jimi Hendrix. You know, or something like that. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Now I do like this. That I do like that he evidently did some research to find out that Bruce Lee did have a temper. Um, he did take things very personal if you kind of challenged him. And he had a way of artistically giving you the chance to show your stuff. So, And he did, he did admire Bruce, um, Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Um, they said there are stories that in one of his movies when he starts to dance that he got that idea from Muhammad because mm-hmm. he thought it was such, so graceful to be so big but throw punches so quickly it'd be loose. Um, so he did. So I like that. I like the way they, you know, show that he did admire, you know, Muhammad Ali. My brother used to say that when I was little and I didn't really know what he meant. And he said, no, he studied Muhammad. He loved him. But anyway, um, so they did all of that really well. I love that he put him in the movie. So I'm not mad at him. Yeah. But I do understand what Shannon is saying. And also Bruce did. There's a scene where uh, Sharon Tate goes to like Quentin brought it up earlier. She goes to uh, see her own movie. They didn't recognize her. They didn't know her. We was kind of bugged out by the way that celebrities just walking down the street. You know, <laughs> you know. I'm like, man, yo, you can just do that. You know, but uh, she walked down. The, she went to this theater um, to watch her movie, and uh, and two things. One, they had a flashback during the movie of Bruce Lee training her. For yeah. a fight scene, which is true on that movie, uh, um, on that movie, what was the movie? Uh, um, Dirty something doesn't yeah, is Dirty doesn't. Yeah, I movie. Yeah, I forget that movie. Um, uh, she didn't make too many of them, so yeah. it'd be easy to find. Uh, let me click on Sharon Tate's you name. Keep talking, I'll find. But it. yeah, um, so in that movie, uh, you have you have Bruce that was the uh, stunt, not stunt coordinator, but fight coordinator on that movie. Wasn't, uh, it, wasn't it the Wrecking Crew? It was the Wrecking Crew, yeah. Uh, 1969, so, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it was a stunt coordinator on the uh, Wrecking Crew. Not stunt coordinator, I keep saying that. The fight coordinator on the Wrecking Crew. And uh, and also gave Shannon, uh, Sharon Tate lessons on what to do, how to properly block or how to properly do something. I assume in that case is more judo or in it, uh, maybe. Uh, uh, so... Uh, because it looks like the scenes that I've seen in the movie, she's displaying a lot of flips and things like that, mm-hmm. which is more more in line with like judo mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. Um, but um, it, or it could have been some type of form of I don't know uh, of of other martial kung fu. That yeah, I'm not he studied so many, yeah. and he and he um, he had a, a a a long list of celebrities that you know he would train for their movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, he made he made gangs of money just um, because they could he could charge really high fees so you know we hear of the Steve McQueens and some of the other ones that he trained but but he trained like just a lot of John people. Paxson uh, is a, the guy that plays the father on Nightmare on M Street yeah uh, the detective yeah. Uh, the sheriff 
that he was one of Bruce's. Uh, he was actually in Game of Death. No, he's in the Dragon. The Dragon. He's yeah, in but he was also one of his students. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah. which, in By my opinion, End of the Dragon is the best Bruce Lee movie. But by the way, did you know in Enter the Dragon, Jim Kelly was supposed to be John Saxon's character? No, I didn't know that. But because Bruce was, he wanted it to be a brother, to be his guy that survived with him. And the original wasn't Black Bill Jones in that movie too. Jim Kelly. Uh-huh. Was that Jim Kelly? Uh-huh. I'm talking about the, with the pro. Uh-huh. Jim Kelly. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, Jim that's Kelly. Him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, and Jim Kelly said that in a recent interview. Like he said, I was supposed to be, my character was supposed to be the one that survived with Bruce. But at the end, they changed it right before they began to shoot. They changed it. They changed all the lines, all that stuff, and moved everything around so that the white guy could, you know. Hmm. survive with them and it would make for better for the audience right okay. but you know, yeah so yeah uh man absolutely like that one uh but yeah bruce bruce is minor in this but later on man if yeah. the, the guy that played him if uh man uh mike mo i think his name uh if he was they ever make a bruce lee movie man i don't know him in anything else he might be garbage or like but uh he he uh, he did a good Bruce. Now yeah, he, he doesn't look like I've no, yet I've yet to find anyone that truly no. looks like Bruce. Well, be, well, you know he was uh, he was a good looking guy, but he was part Asian, part uh, German. Yeah. And so yeah, you he would have to have somebody that that is uh, a mixed race. Yeah, he yeah. couldn't probably be completely, you know, um, Asian, yeah, or Chinese, Chinese, or, yeah. You know, he, he would probably have to be not all, not necessarily, but he would kind of maybe need to be and that way because that, was he even fully Chinese? Like, like not, not even Chinese? Or was he really? I thought he was like. I thought even then, uh, we're saying too much on Bruce. I know, but, I know, I know. But, yeah, uh, because but I can uh, talk about Bruce. But uh, was he, I thought that he was? I thought he had conflict within China because he was considered maybe because he was half Bruce. Well, yeah, it's because his mom was uh, German. Yeah, um, and it's yeah. Well, half she was like half German. Yeah. So and they thought he was like a not a pure blood. And yeah. As a matter of fact, Yip Man was told don't teach him because he's not, you know, pure Chinese. You know, but Yip Man liked him. He thought he was like a son. But anyway, yeah. all um, right, we gotta back, skip skip yeah. Bruce. All right, so all right in this movie, uh, Cliff Booth uh, befriends Pussycat, uh, which is. Uh, uh, Manson girl, uh, Pussycat is actually, uh, based on, uh, another of Manson's actual, uh, girls named Catherine Lutzinger, whose nickname was Kitty. Um, but, so that's who the basis of Pussycat was. Um, but yeah, he befriends, uh, this, this girl, you know, as a hitchhiker. Um, now, uh, uh, one of the uh, guys from Beach Boys actually picked up this lady, uh, the real kitty, at one point, uh, and um, hmm. and allowed her to stay at his house. And when he went away and came back, next thing he knows, all the Manson family was in the house, including Charles. And uh, and he couldn't really get rid of him until one of his managers came and be like, yeah, y'all need to go. You know, and finally got him to leave. Um, but yeah, um and also at the Tate murders, uh, Quincy Jones was supposed to be there, but 
But Quincy Jones uh, canceled the last minute and didn't go. Wow. But he would have been in the house. And if Quincy would have died, there would have been no, Jeez. essentially, Michael Jackson. Man, as far as like. A lot of like, things. Uh, Sanford and Son. Yeah. And music. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Austin Powers thing. Did, did, yeah. Did, did, none, yeah. None of that. None of that. Uh, yeah. Michael Jackson. None of that. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, um, they befriend, um, well, he goes to the Spawn Branch, and this is what I want to ask Quentin. Okay. Uh, do you, I felt like that whole scene at the Spawn Branch was like a very horror-heavy moment. You know, it felt very, like, I was uneasy. I was uneasy the whole time at the Manson compound over at the Spawn Ranch. You know, yeah. I felt an unease the mm-hmm. whole time. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think that was a good uh, tension moment. It's almost like uh, it became a horror film for mm-hmm. 15 minutes, you know, um, which is cool. I mean, I, I, I think it's cool to take, you know, this movie and, and really not even know how to place it. You know, a comedy, a horror, a drama, a thriller, a love story. I mean, you, you know, it's hard to even, like, place... Um, or I wouldn't say love story, but a, a um, friendship story, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, feel good. So it's hard to place it. But, yeah, that moment was a moment where you you definitely felt the energy of the film change. And it was like, uh-oh, what are, what are we getting into? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was a good moment. Um, and uh, the uh, so Dakota Fanning's in this movie. She's very unrecognizable. <laughs> but Dakota, uh, you know, Hey, kudos for her to still be acting. Uh, mm-hmm. She's a child actor, and and and, and that leads me to this. Um, there's a scene where uh, Rick Dalton is sitting and talking to a young actress uh, or actor. She says she refuses the term actress because it is uh, yeah. negative to saying that she is lesser than a man to do something. So she calls herself an actor. So I'm going to respect her and call her an actor. Um, the young actor, she. Uh, was talking to uh, Rick Dalton and um, and was like really proper and stuff like that. At one point, uh, she, she says like, I don't understand what you're going through, but da, 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 da. Uh, and then yeah. like, he's like, oh, you will in like 15 years. Yeah, uh, because, funny. you know, this movie is about this guy, Rick Dalton, who is past his prime and essentially a washed up has been, essentially is just trying to hang on to being a celebrity, um, and uh, and and then you have this young lady who is still in her prime, that is will probably have a great future ahead of her. The way she studies, the way that she really studies the the being method and stuff like that, uh, she's probably going to be a great actress, but it's going to hit that slump one day because she's not going to be a cute little girl. She's going to be growing up, and it's going to be the awkward phase. But, you know, she's got to deal with the fact that she's going to be rejected for a while before she is, or if she even gets back to being mainstream. You look at Drew Barrymore, uh, who was able to make that venture from child actress, and Dakota Fanning in this movie is able to make that venture from child actress. But that's rare. That's something that doesn't always happen. Right, right. Yeah, that is. And and so, yeah, you're hitting on another thing that I guess you can get from this movie is that he's 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 sort of displaying that kind of development 
and um, in the, in his characters, uh, and and he's displaying that that type of uh, reality of actors when mm-hmm. when he uses that that line when he said you'll 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 understand in fifteen or you'll be here in fifteen years you know so that's a he did a lot of things there where he's kind of having you think about the again the life of an actor um, and how tough it is and this and that and then us knowing the private lives of these people uh, we kind of think about it more so yeah that's he had a lot of little things within the movie you know mm-hmm. that will if you watch it again you know you'll laugh you'll put things in different places um but yeah so he was really good at that um and uh because we about to get oh, into yeah, 10 yeah, minutes yeah. so we're about to we're going to dive into the end but real real briefly uh what's your thoughts on uh oh real quick i want to mention this uh-huh. clip booth there's a scene where uh they talk about they show a clip of him on a boat with his wife and oh, yeah. and they cut right there mm-hmm. it's like yeah he totally killed his wife i think like he totally i could see that he totally just let that harpoon go out yeah. and say oh it's uh I'm glad they didn't show it. I'm glad they didn't show it. Yeah. But because if they had have shown it, then you can't really root for this character because you know he's just a straight up scum. But it's ambiguous. Did he do it? Did he not? Did, mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know. What did you think about that? Well, I thought it was cool to just throw it in there so we could see it and make the judgment on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, still save face. Uh, in, in his character, because we don't, we didn't see the murder. You know, we didn't see it. Now we just saw the argument that took place before. Not even an argument, just a, a whining yeah. type thing. But um, yeah, that was, and that's comical too. I mean, he kind of threw it in there. It's kind of comical. Mm-hmm. Um, and but if he had shown the murder, it would not have probably been, and we would have had different opinions. Opinions of yeah. him. Of him. Uh, and then. Uh, another question, and then we'll dive into the uh, the ending. Uh, what were your thoughts on Rick Dalton's uh, insecurities and a little uh, nu- uh, nuances of like the stuttering when he's like around people and lack of confidence? What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, I thought it was perfect. I thought it was a good portrayal of a, a guy who's in front of the camera. He's really good because that's his that's his comfort zone. Um, and but uh, but privately. He is not as confident. He doesn't like his work. A lot of actors say that they don't like looking at their own work, or they do, mm-hmm. but they have you know doubts and this and that. And so we saw him, man. We saw how he was able to become a star because he did rehearse constantly. He did put a lot of effort and love into it. But then we also saw the byproduct of when you 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 invest too much into being that thing that you want to be, and it starts to fade now who are you really mm-hmm. you know and, and and i think he was afraid of that kind of stuff so he had to have all these distractions but so i thought i thought that's only an actor knows how to write that right and so you could tell that all of them probably got together and said yeah this if you want it to be real man this is what we you know it this is what we really worry about we worry we worry about not doing well or when we meet somebody for the first time Will they judge us on our last work, or will I impress them? Will I be like I am? And so that would cre- create that little speech impediment. But once I'm in my element, oh, I'm I'm, I'm turned on. Yeah, and so yeah. like people like Harrison Ford, who said, or people know that he's extremely, 
you know, shy and nervous, awkward kind of in person. Or at least he said he used to be. I don't know if he still is. But on the, you know, on the set, he's different. Um, you know, um, who else? Uh, Michael Jackson, people would say, you know, pri oh, no, Michael Jackson, I'm sorry, talking about Richard Pryor. So mm -hmm. I take that back. And Richard Pryor, how he's so confident on the stage and in movies. But they said, Michael was saying, if you, when you get him in private, like he's real quiet. He's almost shy-like. And so to show that type of, yeah, here's a man that's confident in all these movies and selling cigarettes as an actor and this and that. But offset in his trailer, he is, you know, critical, he doubtful, he, you know, self-mutilating um, and this mm -hmm. and that and self-abusing and uh, or self-abusive. So I, I like that. And like I said, you can watch the movie just to get a kick out of his life. Yeah. And his transformation and cycle. Or you can look at it for these other things. That's why I thought the movie really did a good job because it gave many different people things to focus on. And, yeah. Uh, and I also like that um, they the way they utilized um, the sets. Like, they shot it. Like, you, I've seen somebody else talk about this. If they would have done it like they would do it, like if somebody else would have made this movie, they would have showed the crew... The uh, person oh, used yeah, a boom yeah. mic yeah. and stuff like that, and just show that they're shooting the scene. Right. But the way they did it is if you're watching this, the final you were yeah, almost you're like watching, watching another the, movie. Yeah, <laughs> and then like, but then I like when they stop and they reset like the camera back to his mark or whatever, uh -huh. and you hear him setting it back and going on the you hear it on the dolly or whatever, uh, or dolly track or the track going back over, you know. And he kept saying line. What's the lining in? You know, yeah, and he and he, yeah, and he, yeah. and he get he got in the trailer and like, D -d -d you idiot! You know yeah. why? Why did you just you know do that? You know, you know if you don't do, I'm gonna blow you. I'm gonna blow your brains out tonight if you don't do this. If you don't get this right, you know, and just um just his, his he is his worst critic. Yeah. And uh and uh and I love just the way that he was able to do that, and then go back and then give the what that one actor young lady says it's the best performance she's ever seen mm -hmm. and uh and he really killed it he really nailed that you that know, part and when i think about that and i got to watch it again but i think that's also brilliant on um quentin's part to not show all the 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 set mm -hmm. because when you do that it puts you as the viewer back away from kind of the room and back here to see all, all these people. But if you if he never takes you out of that, it's almost like you're in the movie, you're you're with these guys. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like he never lets us leave these guys. Even when they're going to work, we're like always there. So almost like we're able to be in that time without without the cameras noticing we're here and we're just watching this guy. Mm -hmm. But if he had brought you back and we saw all of that stuff. Then it takes you away from the movie. You know, it takes you, you're in the movie, you're watching the movie, but it takes you away from their, being so intimate in their life. It takes you, you can almost relax. Yeah. Because it's a, but no, to watch it, we didn't know, I mean, we're like watching another story. Mm -hmm. I, at times it was frustrating, but at times I, I thought, oh, it's, this is cool. It's like we, we get to see it, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. It says five minutes oh, yeah. left on this, but that's all right. I'm going to, uh, after this one, 
I'm going to stop it and we're just going to have a bonus little portion because we're still talking about this okay. movie. Uh, but um, real quick, I also like uh, whenever Cliff and uh, and Rick get, came to Rick's house to look at the last episode of FBI that he was a guest star on there. And I love the little way, because you know how we look at movies and we talk, oh, I, I hate this guy. I hate seeing this guy in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he mentioned, he said, oh, this guy's a dick. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, you know, but this guy right here, on the, the dead dude on the ground that I just shot, yeah, he's really cool. Uh, he's a really nice guy. Nice, mm-hmm. nice man. Got a nice family or whatever. You know, you know, just like, he's like, oh, man. Yeah, it took us all day to get this shot. Like, in, you know, you're watching the movie, you're, you're watching and watch the show, and they're kind of giving commentary to what is happening. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, how long did it take you to do that? Oh, man. Like, first take, I was able to, mm-hmm. to do that, you know. But you remember when you did this, you did that jump in the truck cliff? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I almost. I almost, you know, tipped down or something like that. Yeah. You know, no, um, good. Good. I like that they were able to do that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and cause, you know, it just shows that these guys are humans and they're also fans, you know. Yep, yep. No, I thought that was cool, too. And you just left thinking, yeah, I bet actors do hang out and talk like that, and, mm-hmm. you know, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I agree. I think that was good. But, yeah, we're going to uh, stop this recording real quick. Pick it right back up with our ending bonus talking about the ending of the of the movie. And that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to maybe even talk about the real life things that kind of occurred. I don't know. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Here we are. We're going to talk about this ending. <clears throat> so, as you know, uh, originally, um, Sharon Tate and several of her friends and house guests, Jay Sebring, who lived there as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, Votek uh, Frikowski, uh, Abigail Folger, and uh, another young man uh, whose last name is Parent. I don't have him in front of me currently, but uh, him and maybe a couple other people, Quentin, uh, was actually killed at uh, the... Um, at that Tate, Polanski Tate residence yeah. um, on that night by members of the Manson family by the orders of Charles Manson himself. Charles Manson wanted, uh, he knew a guy that used to live there. I think his last name was Melcher. I'm not sure. Uh, but he used to live there and he rejected Manson and uh, to give record, record them, give them a recording of them playing music. So he went back and that's when he seen that Sharon Tate was li- living there. And so uh, he essentially told him, go back and kill anyone and utterly destroy whoever lives there and, and make a, send a message, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what Tex Watson, uh, that's what uh, the other people that was involved in the crimes went to do is to kill mm-hmm. those people. Um, now, the ending of this movie uh, it, like so, it starts off with um the narrator, which I realized is Kurt Russell. I didn't realize it's mm-hmm. Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I was wondering, that's kind of a strange thing to have a Kurt Russell be the narrator in this movie, like because he plays one of the characters, right? Yeah, but why Kurt? That's why I, oh. I didn't understand. Like he plays a character, I understand, but he doesn't seem like he would would have been a character that would have been that invested in their lives and things like yeah. that. You know, it just seemed weird. It's that, just a weird thing. I thought that's weird. But I also thought it was also weird to have 
Al Pacino in the movie. I mean, hmm. he really didn't serve a purpose, you know. Uh, other, like other than a brief cameo, I guess. Cameo, uh, but yeah. So I just say that just because yeah, I, I agree the the narrator choice was the kind of it seemed like uh, who wants to narrate this uh, this part of Kurt? Uh, I'll do it. Oh, oh, all right, cool. You know, yeah. it was like it was one of those, but yeah, there was no reason for it. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, so um all right, so it starts with the uh events leading to the murders, right? Mm-hmm. Uh it shows like that the um uh, that uh Sharon Tate just now came back from Rome, um or somewhere, uh and uh she was still she was very much pregnant. Her and her friends went out to eat at a restaurant, um and um you know, was going through those elements and uh, then Rick Dalton and his uh, Cliff Booth also went out to eat as well. Mm-hmm. They kind of left their restaurant, their uh, respective restaurants around the same time. Yeah. Uh, kind of arrived shortly thereafter, one another, sort of. Um, and and Kurt's character is narrating the time and time stamping yeah. all these events. And so in the back of your mind... You know that 12 o'clock is when the murders occur, or 12 right, or 1 or whatever. Right. And, and, or even if you don't, you you begin to get what he's doing. Mm. Like you you begin to get that he's he's now doing that, like that show, The Last 24 or something mm. like that, where they they document the last minutes of this these people's lives. Yeah. So that's the cool thing is he's building you up to this. He's setting you up to this, to this uh, gloom, this uh, ending, this doom ending. Yeah, this, uh, this, yeah, this t- t- uh, uh, terrible ending. So, right. Go ahead. And uh, and and uh, at the same time, um, Tex Watson and uh, Tex Watts. I don't know if it's Watson or Watts, but anyway, uh, Tex and a couple other uh, Manson chicks. Arrive at the uh, on that drive. Arrive on that road, and um, which hindsight, all that should be gated. You shouldn't yeah. ever be able to have that much access. But you know, nowadays, it yeah, is I, I imagine it is now. But uh, but yeah, but to that point. Now, quickly, my mentor who lived in Malibu, he lived down the street from Barbara Streisand, and this is in the seventies. And he said he could easily, I mean, but he lived in Malibu too, down the street. Like I said, she had a beautiful big old home, but you could easily go down. And he said he would knock on her door. They they even went out to a bar together, but um, but he said that's just how it was. And when I later met him, my mentor, when I was 19, so this was in the 80s, 90s, uh, he took me to where Cher lived because his daughter was babysitting one of uh, Cher's, uh, I believe, nieces or something like that. It was in the guest house, but we could drive right in there. So this is even in the, like I said, early 90s, it might have been 89. So we could drive and you saw the main house, but then you saw the guest house and we could drive. So so I only say that to say, yeah, back in that day, you, you did have that kind of easy access. access to somebody's front door. And you know that uh, there was a, a, a actress that... Uh, had someone had a crush on this actress and was able to murder her. I don't know if it's around that same time. It might have been a little bit like in the seventies or eighties, but um actually got her address from the DMV and go to her address mm-hmm. and and 
you know, and murdered her yeah. because of the access and there was no uh, protection of private information. Mm-hmm. Now there is protection of private information because of murders like that, because of the tape murders yeah. and things like that. Now it shaped a totally different consciousness in us in reality where we became a little bit more afraid of picking up hitchhikers or we became a little bit more guarded and, and bolting. I've read where it says that um, I've seen a, a documentary on the Tate murders. After the Tate murders, uh, during this time, people will go out and uh, get things to secure the homes cameras, monitors, you know, not so much monitors probably, but just, you know, uh, deadbolts and things like that to kind of secure the home. And and even if you look in L.A., like Watts, Compton, things like that, that still happens today with the gated homes, like cages essentially, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's for not only your protection, but also to keep your property protected. But yeah. that stuff kind of shaped, whereas at one point you could leave your door unlocked now you can't, right? You know, uh, but yeah. So all that shaped, but um, so you see that these the Manson people show up in this drive in a car that's loud. Now, uh, Cliff and uh, Rick has already been there watching the FBI show, as we stated on the previous uh, recording of this. Um, and uh, Cliff decides to walk his dog. Now we didn't mention. That he has a very trained dog mm-hmm. that sits and waits until he says it's time to eat. Mm-hmm. And he communicates with, you know, yeah, yeah. and he does whatever, you know, it was a great trained dog. But anyway, he decides to walk his dog. But before that, he took a hit of a uh, uh, acid dip cigarette. Mm-hmm. He smoked an acid dip cigarette. So he's tripping. He's tripping balls, uh, as they say. Which, which that's important because, and that's cool, it's cool setup stuff that Quentin was doing. Because, again, if you've read about the, the murders going into the movie, you know that there was a dog that was killed. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking, oh, this is the dog. This, you know, And then you thought, well, Cliff in this movie is a badass. He just beat up Bruce Lee and this and that. So I'm sure these three people are not going to take him down without you know, a big fight, but he takes the cigarette. And so now you say, oh, well, that's how they yeah. got to where they could just kill all of because he's tripping. And so that's what you think. And they're build, he's building all of these elements up for you. So you can say, oh, I know what's going to happen. Yeah, and then uh, you know that, uh, <laughs> uh, and then Rick Dalton uh, being drunk, already drinking margaritas. Right. And, and you'd be like, he's drunk, he's stumbling drunk. They either, even had to leave his car. At the uh, restaurant, they said, and they had to take a cab back to the house. But um, not only is he drunk, but he's in the pool on a floater, so yeah. he can't fight. Yeah. When you're, and they, you know, they have a gun. Yeah. So and he had easy. headphones on. And he had headphones on. Yeah. So he's not. And so, so you think, oh my goodness. And the, and the wife is sleeping. Yeah. So she's not good. So they're setting up all of that stuff. But it, yeah, uh, it's it just was like a lot of. Uh, Things that was like setting up, and you're like, "Oh man, this is how it's going down." So, uh, Rick Dalton making margaritas um, around twelve something when he hears uh, this loud car come up, and he sees there's hippies, and 
in frustration and just, you know, he goes out to him and says, hey, you need to get this out of here. What are you doing here? You don't you don't belong here. This is not. And I thought at that point, moment, oh, he about to get shot, <laughs> you know, because he kind of touched the gun a little yeah. bit. I'm like, oh, they about to shoot him. And then I said, and then like when they did go down and retreat and go back, I was like, oh, that's how they know to go to his house. Because we was, we was thinking, that's how they're going to get killed. Right. Is they going to kill them and then go to Tate's house or whatever? Mm-hmm. Now, and that's what I thought was going to happen, that they was going to kind of separate and two go or one go into the Tate house and the other two go and kill them and then join the rest. And I was like, oh, we're going to see a bloodbath yeah. and all these people are about to die. And and you are feeling, if you know the story of Sharon Tate's murders, you're feeling this. You feeling in your pit of your stomach, like uh, I don't want to see this. Mm-hmm. I'm about to hate this, and because you, you don't want to, unless something's wrong with you, right. you don't want to see someone murdered. You know, in such a cold blood. Yeah, especially a pregnant woman. Yeah, and so you know what they did to their, her, you know, her, her body and the child and all that stuff. So you don't want. To, I agree, you don't want to see that. But then, you know, classic Quentin Tarantino. Classic Quentin. He. Throws the the, the curveball, and um, and you swing and you miss because you thought you had it all figured out. And what a swerve! What a yeah, swerve! What yeah. a way to just you you thought you was going in this direction, and then you turn to this man. Let's talk about it. So, uh, Cliff, uh, dog starts barking or making some type of noise. And then when he looks up, he sees uh, the Manson family is in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the doorway, they come in through a, a window or whatever, and came into the house. And he's standing there. He still has a can of dog food in his hand. And uh, the dude's pointing the gun. He's tripping out. So he's pointing his finger at him, you know. And so I'm like, oh, they're about to shoot this man, mm-hmm. you know. And um, then all of a sudden uh, – does he throw the can or does he call the dog first? Do you remember? Oh, I I, I think he he uh, calls the dog first to um, attack the guy's little group. That's holding the yeah the gun. Jewels. Well, and first then, he attacks his hand. He he grabs the yeah he grabs gun the hand first. Yeah, to get the gun out of his hand, right, to make sure he couldn't shoot. And then the girl kind of runs at him and, and takes that can, takes the can, and just drills her. And then um, beats her face and everything that was possible to beat her face into. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty brutal. And even then, Quentin, I was thinking, well, still, they're probably going to run and go <laughs> yeah. to the state house and murder them. And I that's know. what I was thinking. I know. I, I was thinking, you know, I never, I don't think I ever saw footage of how they looked once they murdered the Tates. <laughs> yeah. So maybe they were all bloodied and bruised up, and but they still managed to kill everybody. So, yeah, I agree. I'm up here thinking, okay, that's not going to kill her, though. Man, she took a lot that night. She's going to have a headache the next day. Yeah. <laughs> but but then you then you quickly start to, you know, conclude that, okay, this is not this is not going the way it was supposed to go. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, oh, shoot. Well, what was the moment for you, know? you when you kind of realized, oh, well, dang, they didn't win. This is, this, this is make I'm going to tell you, it wasn't the can throw. And it wasn't the dog biting the guy. I when he it it was when he kept smashing that girl's head to where he killed her. 
And then he, he curb stomped. He essentially took his foot. foot and boom. And just, then I said, okay, no. The, the, this is – first I thought something was up. But then once that took place, I was like, okay, no, this is – this is completely. What? Where is this guy going? Is what yeah. I thinking. But I knew it wasn't the story, the real story anymore. And then because then, there was no bodies found at a second house, you know, a second yeah. house. And then the, uh, then the, uh, the wife. Uh, see, and then I was wondering if it was connected to the other murders that happened uh, after the tape murders okay, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. with the husband and wife. Right. I was like, maybe that's the husband and wife. And then you mentioned the stuntman. I said, well, maybe that, because there was a stuntman that was murdered later on. But uh, I was like, well, maybe that's all connected too. But then the wife, uh, did the wife like hit the one girl? Yeah. Or, or she he did, she did something to kind of distract her, her. Yeah, and said something to her. Um, she didn't kill her, but she hit her. Yeah. Well, is that the same one that went running out the back door and, uh, and and, oh, and, and the, like like ran through the glass. Yeah. Did she spray something in her eyes? She did something. Yeah, okay. Cause she was like, she couldn't see or something. She ran through the glass. Through, through the glass. And then went to the, the water and just was like, you know. Yeah. Then like dude went and uh, got his. All right. So they set up earlier in the movie that Rick Dalton is not a stunt man. He is an actor, but he's only done one stunt in his life, and that is using the flame uh, thrower. To burn Germans mm-hmm. in a movie that he did, uh, and so he kept the th- the flamethrower, uh, and he went to, into his uh, pool house and pulled the fr- flamethrower out and burnt this chick alive, which was, you know, as funny as I don't know what it's it's so super comical, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know, on a different level, it expresses to me. What America wish wishes they could have done to yeah. somebody like Manson and that whole and family. And I wish that Manson was there too. I wish that Manson. I kind of wish also that they did. They took out Manson too. Oh yeah, yeah. You they know, because you only seen him once. You only seen Manson once, and but I think it would have tipped. Now they could have brought him in later, like yeah. after all these people are being. But it would have been. I think it would have been kind of maybe anti. Thematic because you would have known already by now that this is not the real story. Yeah. So of course they're gonna kill him. And if he had came with them, then you would have known also that's not the real that's story. Not the real story because he was clearly somewhere. That's why he had an alibi. He was clearly somewhere else. Um, so I, I bet he probably wanted to somehow, you know, get him in this thing, but he didn't want to tip us off. Yeah, and that, and that's smart. That's yeah. smart because I, he got me, man. Oh, I the whole too. time, like even, even I was like you said, I was watching it. I was like, maybe that did happen. And I and, I, and I'm thinking to myself because I thought I was kind of versed in what happened with the tape murders uh, to a certain extent, not a morbid extent, but a certain extent. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe I missed that. Maybe that did happen. Maybe mm. maybe. They did have bloody noses and stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm thinking of crime photos. I'm like, I know, the, I remember the marks on the forehead, but maybe they had like bandages. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, did did they? I don't know. Uh, and then I was like, uh, maybe they was going to go there first. And then they that's what led them to go to the Tate house. Yeah. You know, 
and, I, and and that's why they're so violent because they're taking it out on Tate's. But at the end, you kind of find out that no, Shantae survived. And um, but it's is, and and also I've seen somebody say this. Um, Disney has a history. It's not a Disney movie, but Disney has a history of taking horrific, Grimm's fairy tales, that has horror in them, and changing them as a happy ending type of story. So you have uh, Little Mermaid, who at one point uh, had to rip her tongue out in order to, uh, essentially, that's how Ursula got her, she didn't just get her voice, she got her tongue. Mm. And so she can't talk, you know, and things like that. And then you have uh, Cinderella, where the sisters cut half of their feet off so they can try to have it fit in the shoe. And so there's other little stories that are more grim. It's not that romanticized version, right. you know. Right. Um, and so he took something that was a grim story and and made the ending of fairy tale. Yeah. A make believe a, a story that we all wish would have happened. Yeah. But it's also bittersweet because you know that it didn't happen. Right. So you leave the movie feeling that way. Yeah. No, I thought I thought that was brilliant. And and also with movies, especially in today's world, everything is so predictable. People love going to a movie and finding an a ending that is something they didn't see, mm-hmm. foresee, you know, um, and that's rare. You know, I, some of the better ones are like maybe um, The Unusual Suspects or or I think The Unusual Suspect and uh, I love Aliens twist at the end. Um, but uh, this falls in that category of this is a cool um, shift and trick and you know and flip around whatever you want to call it surprise ending that if you didn't read about it before going to see the movie and you just went in to see the movie the 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 um the the uh the previews don't give it away mm-hmm. um you know the uh, all the critics and all that stuff won't give it away really uh that you see on TV with all the reviews so you go into it really not knowing how this movie is going to end and and it's it's a, it's a surprise. I mean, it really kicks you. And the end, the whole movie kind of points towards Sharon Tate's death. Like uh, mm-hmm. every time you see her, you feel like, oh, oh, she's gonna die. You know, you, and you hate that feeling. And even when they re- reveal her with the belly, you're like, oh no, this is yeah. this is this is about to happen soon. Yeah. You know, and uh, and to do that, and then also it establishes that Rick Dalton. Met Sharon Tate, who will probably in, later on introduce her, him to mm-hmm. Roman Polanski, and maybe she uh, he will be in a Roman Polanski movie. Mm-hmm. And someone said maybe he stars in Chinatown and not uh, uh, Jack Nicholson. You know, which that what what difference would that have made in this world where Jack didn't get that role uh, in Chinatown and this Rick Dalton did instead. Uh, would have Rick Dalton got the role in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, or would he got the role in uh, um, The Shining? Could we have seen a totally different Shining? Mm-hmm. You know, or you know, so it's just just crazy how this movie played out. But I absolutely loved the way it played out. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. So all right, uh, we talked about it. Uh, that's the ending. Uh, reality of what happened to the uh, people. Manson died. Uh, 28, 2018 or 2017? 2017. 
He died in 2017 in prison, never been, never to be released. Um, uh, Squeaky it served time. She tried to kill President Ford. I think Ford, uh, and she uh, eventually got released in parole. Uh, one of them uh, ended up dying in prison. Uh, most of them said they born again Christians, uh, but. Uh, um, but all of them, most of them try to get paroled. None of them other than Squeaky from has been paroled. Mm-hmm. And she was the main. And that's the most weird thing, though, is that she, it showed that in what I've read about her, she never shared, showed any signs of remorse for being Manson's number one chick. You know what I mean? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and she, it said that she still... She broke out several times, still continued to write Manson from prison and stuff, but she was later paroled. Yeah. That's weird. It's ironic that she's the one that gets paroled. Yeah. Because she technically never murdered anyone. Whereas, yeah. And that's the, that's the, I guess that's the technicality. And that's the, also a bittersweet thing. So it is, it is. Um, And even though Leonardo's uh, character and Brad Pitt's character were both uh, fictional, characters mm-hmm. uh, before the tape murders there there was a man shorty shea who was murdered who was a stunt man mm-hmm. and so um that's another play that quentin does well is he he, introdu- he introduces these fictional characters but one of them actually has some truth and some validity to the real murders of the manson family mm-hmm. so that's why you, you you're kind of like Okay, well, oh, okay. When does this guy get mar- murdered? And I, know, I remember it was a stuntman, but I can't remember where. So as they're doing all that chronological stamping of time, you're thinking, oh, we're we're about to find out. Yeah. And just reading not too long ago, somebody had tried to reopen the investigation because they felt like there was a different motive and there was some hidden stuff, and so. You know, you take all of that. I, I wasn't around during that time. I was born the year after, but I wasn't around during that time. So I bet there was some talk about, you know, you know what really went down. And, you know, it's probably impossible to figure out what, every, what all took place, but because of just the information and the way it was recorded. But there could have been some other things and, Quentin plays, uh, or Quentin does a good job of, of making sure that you you're starting to think that like he's mm-hmm. about to give you some other information. So, just a really good movie, really fun movie. Um, yeah, cool cool spin on uh, history and reality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and um, I enjoyed. It. I would recommend anyone see this movie. Uh, still out in theaters. Did you rate it already? Did, did yeah, you we rate rated this? it. Okay. I think we, we did, did rate it first. Yeah, that's right. We did. Okay. Yeah, but I still it still stands. I give it five. Yeah, because I gave it a four. That's right. Yeah. Right. Okay. But all right, man. We thank you for um, listening to this. Uh, we're gonna try to do this more often, um, analyzing certain movies. You know. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Always. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. Well, well, Aaron Whitlow, Quentin Hollis. Thank you for listening. <laughs>